0: So over the last few weeks we've been in a little mini-series on the character of God, who God is, looking at different aspects of who he is. So we've looked at his faithfulness, we've learned that he's the God of peace, we've learned last week that he's the God of hope. And tonight I just want to speak on another aspect of God's character some of you will know that recently I've got married to Hannah, which is very exciting. And uh, what I'm learning is when you get married, it's a real fast track to getting to, to know somebody. Um, and some of that is good and some of that is less good. So I've learned that in Hannah's opinion, having a massive poster of Freddie Mercury is an interior design. It's one thing I've learned. I've also learned that she's actually never liked me using a handkerchief. Um, Because it's unhygienic, which is probably valid. Um, But I'm learning a lot. And actually, when when we come into relationship with Jesus, so when we give our yes to him, we, we understand what he's like and we're introduced to his character. And one thing that is made overwhelmingly clear in the scripture, one thing that is undeniably true about God is that our God is a God of freedom. He's a God of freedom. You know, when Jesus starts his ministry um, and he's just had a face-off with the devil in the wilderness, he's won, and it said, the scripture says he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit and then he enters the synagogue and in a loud voice, he declares that he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. So Jesus has declared himself that he's come to set... People free. Um, and so the question is, like, how's that going for us? I wonder how that's going for us. So I want to spend a bit of time just thinking about that this evening, that he's the God of freedom. And we're going to look at two stories, two encounters that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, has with Jesus. And these stories are to us two invitations to freedom. So Peter, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was a key apostle in the early church and he he got to know Jesus very well. And we're gonna look at two stories, two moments with Jesus, two invitations to freedom. So we're gonna turn to the first story. It's Luke chapter five. And this is the story of when Jesus first meets Peter when he first encounters Jesus. And this encounter is for us the freedom from shame. I thought we could start lying. The freedom from shame. And it's Luke chapter five and it's verses one through to 11. We're not gonna read the, the story verse by verse just because it might take a little bit too long, but just to, um, you might wanna pull it up, just to remind us of the story or if you're not familiar. So, Jesus, he's um, begun his public ministry. It's not long after he's declared that he's come to set the captives free, like we just read. And to cut a longer story short, he finds himself in the boat of Peter, who's a fisherman, okay? Um, and to make things a bit confusing, Peter, he's also called Simon, but the Bible also refers to him as Simon Peter. Okay, so he's got three names. We're going to refer to him as Simon Peter for this story. So Simon Peter, he's been fishing all night, the story says, and he's caught no fish. So like 12 hours through the night, he's had no luck. And Jesus, the next morning, he's, he's in Simon Peter's boat. And he audaciously says this to Peter, this is verse four, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So this is kind of Jesus way of like basically saying do exactly the same thing that you've already been doing, just do it better. Okay. It was annoying thing to hear. I don't know if you know that feeling of, uh, maybe you're doing like a DIY project and you just know that somebody's hovering behind you, just judging you. And then they say, oh, look, why don't you try this? And it's exactly what you've been doing. Not that I'm speaking from any recent experience. Um, <laughs> and so maybe Simon Peter, he's, he's feeling a little bit like this. Um, and so it There's something worse than receiving annoying advice, and that's when you receive annoying advice and the person is actually right, and that's what we find here in the story, is that Simon Peter and his gang, they they catch the entire lake of Gennesaret. So we we read in verse 6, "'When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break.'" And so Simon Peter, he he responds like this, and this is the key verse. This is verse eight, we'll read. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. So what's happening here in the story? You know, it's not because Jesus was bad that Simon Peter wanted him to leave. It's because Jesus was good, is because his goodness was rubbing up against his badness and he didn't like it. And so Simon Peter wanted him to leave. And the word that we give to this feeling, this kind of moment that we're probably quite familiar with is called shame. That's what we're dealing with here in the story. How can we understand shame? Shame is like the fear that if I'm really... Known, if I'm really understood, if people really get to know me, then I'll be rejected in one way or another. And often people think that shame is feeling bad about doing something. That's actually guilt. Guilt is feeling bad about doing something, like I've made a mistake. Shame is feeling bad about who you are, that I am a mistake. I heard somebody say recently that shame is like swallowing the lie that we are unworthy of love. It's a feeling of unworthiness. And so if that's what shame is, then what what is the consequence of it in our lives? And let's just look at the story. So Simon Peter, he wants to create distance between him and Jesus. Simon Peter thought like, I'll push you away, Jesus, before you push me away. So that's what shame does, the presence of it in our lives. We wanna create distance between people and if we do it with perfect love like if we do it with Jesus we definitely do it with one another you know how many of our kind of conversations or relationships are just peppered with those feelings and you might be you know really aware of that feeling or it might just kind of be lurking in the background or kind of sneaks in the back door of your life but we're all somewhat acquainted with that feeling of unworthiness I don't know if you know that experience of when you're driving along, and you're, you're just driving along fine, like you haven't done anything particularly wrong, and then you see a police car that's traveling in the opposite direction, and then you're just suddenly like, oh no, what have I done? And, you know, if I'm driving, I probably have done something wrong. But, you know, for most people, it doesn't matter what you've done, you just like this feeling slightly bubbles up, and we have that with people, and we definitely have it with God. So, how do we get free? If that's what it is, if that's how shame plays out in our life, then how do we get free? Because that's really the question. Again, let's look at the story. So, what does Jesus say in response to Simon Peter just as he's pushing him away? Jesus says these words, verse 10 Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So just as Simon Peter is creating distance, just as he's anticipating rejection, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And that's the freedom that God speaks to our shame. Shame is basically rooted in fear. And what Jesus did on the cross is the display of a love that comes running to meet us. You know, when, we, when we're when we afraid, when we fear a certain kind of treatment or um, or a consequence of something, he, he speaks a, la- a word that's louder than our feelings of shame. And that's the word of love. And that's what the cross is. It's the display of a, of a love that comes running to meet us. You know, Jesus, he doesn't just like write a get well soon card. He actually goes to meet us. Meet us in that place of shame, and he wants to walk us into freedom. So just to share an experience from my life, if it's helpful. So a couple of years back, um, maybe kind of four or five years ago, I was really struggling with these feelings of um, kind of unworthiness, and it was around my physical self-image, and I kind of never expected to sort of feel that, but it it was getting really bad. I really struggled to just look in a mirror. And it's, you know, just that really simple thing that you take for granted. I just really struggled with it. And I remember coming to an evening service here at church when we used to meet next door. And I came forward for prayer because I felt I just need to offer it to God. And somebody came up to me. They put a hand on my shoulder and they didn't know anything about kind of internally how I was feeling. And they just said, this, they said this to me that I've got a picture of a mirror and the mirror has a shattered glass and it's broken, but God wants to fix the mirror and He wants to restore the image. And when I hear, heard that, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't know if you've ever received kind of something like that when you're in a moment of prayer, but it's just like, like, it knocks you, um, and it was so encouraging, and what it said to me is, you know, when we're in our place of shame, he comes to meet us, he makes his home there, and then he leads us into freedom, that's what he does, so that's the that's the first freedom, and then just moving to the second story, so we'll, we'll go to Matthew chapter 16. And this is the second freedom that we are invited into. And this is the freedom to know who we are. The freedom to know who we are in Jesus. And Peter, he has some good moments and he has some bad moments as a disciple. Like if Jesus were to write him a school report, it would say his performance was mixed, okay? But this story that we're about to read, this is one of Peter's better moments. It's Matthew chapter 16 and it's verses 13 to 20. Again, we're not gonna read the story verse by verse, but just to kind of sum it up if you're not familiar with it or just to remind us. So Jesus, by this point, he's, Becoming pretty well known. He's done some impressive miracles, and people are kind of noticing him. And so, Jesus, he's with his disciples, with his friends, and he says these two questions to them. He says, Who do the people say I am? And who do you say I am? And so, Simon Peter, our main man, he pipes up and he says this in verse 16 You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. So that's a good answer. That is the right answer. And so Jesus, he says back to Simon Peter, verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what's happening here in this story? So Jesus is laying on Peter an identity. He's saying that you used to be Simon, but I'm now calling you Peter. You used to have another identity, but I'm giving you another one. I'm showing you who you are. This is the freedom to know who we are in Jesus. So we'll just have a quick think about our identity. Like how do we tend to form it? And then how does Jesus form it for us? And how does he he lead us into freedom? How does he show us a better way? So, how do we understand identity today? We we tend to think of it a bit like I think a game of Guess Who, so we can have really rigid understandings of who we are. So we can say, you know, I'm definitely this, but I'm definitely not that, or I'll have this label, but I won't have that label. Um, But really, when we think about our God-given identity, that's really asking the question of who do we belong to? What's our value? And what's our worth? And we tend to kind of form identity in two ways. I'm holding up three, but two ways, okay? We tend to kind of either look inside or look outside. So... We live in a culture that increasingly says like, if you want to figure out who you are, look inside, Um, express your authentic self, search yourself. You might kind of be familiar with those slogans. Or another way is to look outside. So we look to those around us. We look at what we find on social media, um, if that's what you do. We tend to kind of compare ourselves with other people to form our identity. And, you know, these two things, they seem, you know, perfectly fine on the tin. It seems like a really reasonable thing. But actually, when we put it up against how Jesus forms identity, it is radically different. His methods cut against the grain. Um, We realise that Jesus' methods are actually, rather than looking outside or inside, he says, look at me. Isn't it interesting in the story that Jesus says, who do you say I am? I am. Jesus asked that to Peter, who do you say I am? And I wonder why he did that. Was he kind of looking for an ego boost? Was he looking for a compliment? I don't think so. I think more likely that Jesus was saying, if you wanna know who you are, if you wanna know your identity, look at me, look at me. If you wanna understand yourself, then understand who I am. Search me and you'll discover who you are. Don't know if you're familiar with the game of headbands. It kind of comes out at Christmas or maybe a work social or something. And everyone's got a label or a card and it's got a a name on it. And you put the card on your head and you put a headband on. And the, the kind of premise of the game is you have to figure out who you are. And the thing with headbands is if you kind of go around like the room looking inside yourself, you don't get very far because the, the label's on your head, okay? So you can't really look inside. And so what you have to do is you have to go around asking people questions like, Do I have blonde hair, am I a musician, um, and whatever, and try and figure it out. And actually, after a while, it gets really confusing and kind of exhausting. And then somebody says, like, 30 seconds left, and you're like, ah, I don't know if I'm Mahatma Gandhi or Adele. Like, it just, it's confusing. And, and it's, it's like Jesus steps inside the game and he grabs the card and he puts it to your face and he says, This is who you are. Like you've been looking inside, that hasn't worked out. You've looked to those around you and that hasn't worked out either. Like, look at me, let me show you who you are. Let me lay an identity on you. I wasn't crying at some quenching for thirst, <laughs> all those worthy of tears. Um, So what kind of identity does Jesus give us? If that's his method, what kind of identity does he give us? And we'll just turn back to the story. So verse 18, Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what kind of identity does Jesus give us? What's the freedom to know who we are? The freedom is it's a changed name that's the identity it's a changed name you know one translation of simon is a is reed which is a grass like plant that is not a thrilling name okay so jesus changes his name from simon to peter peter means rock It's as if Jesus was saying, you know, you used to be at the the mercy of culture, what people say. Okay, you were kind of blown around by the wind, but I'm saying that you are Peter, that you are rock. And there's a reason that Jesus called him rock, okay? Kind of much like Dwayne Johnson, like Peter was so recognized as somebody of strength and not bodily strength, but of character. Like Jesus was calling out a passion, a zeal that was in Peter. You know, this is the same guy that when Jesus came to arrest, uh, the um, soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter cut one of their ears off. It's like shooting a police officer today, okay? Our Peter was not lacking passion, okay? And Jesus saw something in him and he was calling it out of him. And I wonder if there are kind of some of us where we we just need to hear what Jesus has to say about us, that we need to hear him call out what is in us because that's actually that 's what he 's gifted to us and he wants to give us a new identity because the, the, the gospel story the story of Christianity is one of a changed name it's one of transformation that 's what the gospel is there was a famous guy called John Newton and this was in the 18th century and John Newton, before he became a Christian, he was a sailor or a sea captain, and he was also a slave trader. And there was one um, time, I think he was off the coast of Ireland, and this like furious storm came upon the boat, and he just kind of did what anyone would do in desperation. He just cried out to God for mercy. And the story goes that God saved him and his life never looked the same again. So he was rescued from the storm and then he eventually rejected his old life, became a born again Christian, even became a priest. And he was reflecting on this conversion story, what had happened to him. And he wrote these famous words. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I would like to be. I'm not what I hoped to be, but I'm not what I was. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the reality of coming to Jesus is one of a changed identity. Whether we feel like that transformation has happened radically or whether we feel like we've still got a little way to go. What happens is we go to Jesus as one person and then we leave another. It's a changed identity. It's a changed name. And receiving God's freedom to know who we are is kind of one thing to receive it and then it's a whole nother thing to live it out in your everyday life. One of the most famous films ever made was a film called The Shawshank Redemption and it follows the story of a guy called Andy Dufresne and he's he's basically been committed, He hasn't committed the crime, but he's, um, he's been convicted of a crime. Sorry, struggling with the C's here. Convicted of a crime that he didn't commit. And there's this scene where he's in the prison grounds and he's chatting with some of the inmates and they're talking about how inside the prison walls, they, it changes who you are. Like the walls have this kind of effect of changing you as a person. And it makes you something that you're not. And there's this character called Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman. And he's this long-term, wise inmate. And he says these words. He says that these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you start to depend on them. And I wonder if for some of us, we're kind of so used to living within the confines of the walls, so used to living within a kind of certain understanding of who we are, that to embrace God's sides entity for us, it's almost like an impossibility. But Jesus, he calls us into freedom. He calls us to know who we are in him, to know that our story is one of a changed name. And so just, just to finish, Uh, we can hear about the freedom available to us and it might be a reasonable question to ask, like how does this all happen? You know, how how does it happen? And the truth is that we don't get freer by trying harder. We don't like grit our teeth to throw off the shackles. That's not how it works. We receive freedom from the one that is free. I don't know if you've seen an image of A fish caught in plastic, and it's kind of in the ocean, and it's caught in the plastic. You know, the the fish can't just wriggle its way out of the plastic. It needs something outside of itself to free it. It needs something that is free to free it. And it's the same with us, with the Lord. You know, we receive Jesus' freedom because He is Himself free. And the truth about Jesus is, He is the freest person that has ever lived. You know, on shame, Jesus never knew shame. Jesus never doubted his unworthiness. You can't imagine Jesus walking into a room and thinking, does the Father love me? Like, you can't imagine him doing that. And it's because he he didn't doubt it. He didn't know shame or unworthiness. It says in Hebrews, we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. That he experienced the full weight of temptation, but didn't buckle and did not sin. The only shame that he knew was the shame that he took for us on the cross. And then just finally on identity, you know, like Jesus had no doubt about who he was he had complete confidence that he was God's son. Like you again, you can't imagine Jesus walking into a room and just being unsure of who he is. He knew who he was. John 13:3. It says that Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. You know, he had nothing to prove, nothing to protect. He lived in perfect freedom. so therefore and just finally you know we can live in freedom because he lived a life of perfect freedom and he invites us into that freedom and you know whether this is not about like whether you're at the start or the end of the journey you feel like it's, there's always more if you feel like you've experienced a lot of it but also maybe for some of us here we need to experience it for the first time that there's an oasis of freedom that is available to you in Jesus and that is his gift to us and it's a freedom to live in it every day of our lives to walk in it, to live in it and for it to change the course of our life Amen.